what it takes to be a friend of God. We'll be looking at Genesis 12 today and working through it. I'm not going to read it at the outset, but read it throughout the course of the sermon. Uh, it's printed up in your seasons weekly, or you may want to turn to it in your Bible, or just follow along on the screen. There's nothing wrong with that. I recently had a craving to talk to a, a specific friend. We go back about 40 years. Uh, I don't want to date him as an old friend, but he is a long-standing friend. <laughs> we camped together with our families in remote canyons once. He had a guest cottage on his farm, and our family would often stay over with them. We argued, we fought, we laughed, we made up. We played cricket with our children. Yes, there are people who play cricket in this world. His kids sneaked my kids into the paddock and they shot the cows on the rump with a pellet gun, gun just to see their bovine aisles roll. We uh, robbed bees together, African killer bees no less, and sometimes one would get in under the protective clothing and make our do our own bovine dance. <laughs> Then we laughed at each other. Uh, it's so wonderful to have a friend like that. And I was just longing to talk to him, sort of out of the blue. So I scratched around like a chicken looking for grubs and found his phone number and half expecting it to be defunct in 10 years now. I called him and he was there. And that's so wonderful about friends. They just take off right away as if they haven't been apart at all. And uh, what's so nice about it is that friends can really deflate your ego and pop your bubble of, of arrogance without judging you. Doesn't that arouse a longing for you for your own deep personal friends? And if you were to go beyond that and search, where does that yearning come from? Wouldn't you say it's actually an existential yearning or a cosmic longing to know God himself? That you want a friendship that's deep and long and abiding and, and real? And you want it to continue every day and not get interrupted? And so as we read that Abraham was called God's friend, it arouses, I trust in you, a longing as it does in me, that how can this become true of me? I really would love to be God's friend in the way that Abra, Abra, Abraham is called that. I'm going to get my tongue all tangled up with this. He was called Abraham early on, and later on his name was changed to Abraham. The same man, if I mix the two up, it's just because I'm, I'm a nobody. <laughs> well, this, this story in Genesis 12 can be looked at at two levels. The first level is that Abraham was the link between promise and fulfillment. Uh, you recall that Adam and Eve listened to the voice of the devil and they were turfed out of the garden. And in an image of unimaginable power, two angels with flaming swords guard the gate so that they can't get back. So the divide between Abraham, between Adam and Eve and God, between our forefathers and God, is not just a little desert wash with an occasional flash flood in it. It's even more vast than the Grand Canyon. 
It's a galactic divide. Adam and Eve moved into the totally materialistic world. And God inhabits the spiritual world. And Adam and Eve died to the spiritual world. And so the divide is one of death and life even. And we would think that God in his majesty and power and glory would say, well, you introduced the bed bugs into your mattress. You put the thorns in there. Go ahead and sleep on it. But you see, God is a God of grace. And so instead of that, this is what he said to the devil, I will make you and the woman enemies to each other. Your descendants and her descendants will be enemies. One of her descendants will crush your head and you'll just bite his heel. So God graciously promises. And is it not so ironic that the devil and the human race are described as enemies here? The devil is the enemy of the human race. But so deep is our stupor of death that we give him our allegiance, we give him our gratitude, and we serve him. Not for no reason that he is called the great deceiver because he takes his poison and packages it with sugar-coated candy and we swallow it down and say, yum, yum, give me more. But he's the enemy of your soul. He wants you in hell. And God graciously says the opposite. I will find a way to redeem you. How's he going to do that? Well, he starts with one person, and that one person is Abraham. So Abraham is like the forefather, the leading personality. Indeed, some 2,000 years to go, the man Jesus Christ would be born in the line of Abraham. And it would take another 30 years and he indeed crushed the head of the devil. And we, if we are God's children today, are free because of what Jesus did. And it all started with Abraham here in Genesis chapter 12. So that's enough to occupy you for uh, the rest of your life, is it not? But then on a second level, we've got here, as it were, a template of how to be the friend of God. And it's a most interesting template because it it leads us through the life of Abraham and it delineates the signposts on the road and in that way we find ourselves in the story this morning as well. And the first thing we've got to think about is the amazing and even the weird grace of God. This is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 9. He says, uh, I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and make them beloved. In the place where people yell out and say, you're nobody, they're calling you in actuality God's living children. <laughs> So here's the spiritual principle that God starts with nobodies. And so as we look at the steps of friendship, the first thing we notice is that God calls, in this case he calls Abraham, but 
in general he calls who? The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will place a curse on those who harm you, and all the people on the earth will be blessed because of you. So who is this Abraham? Who's this Bedouin, a simple nomad? And we ask this question because in our minds he is this distinguished person whom God took and blessed, and so he must have been somebody. But when we examine the record, we find in the second place that Abraham's impressive qualifications were that he was actually a nobody. So in Joshua chapter 24, when Joshua is summing up the history of the people for their benefit, this is what he said. Here's what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you. A long time ago, your ancestors lived on the other side of the Euphrates River. Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, worshipped other gods. You may be sure that Abraham, growing up in the home of his father, Terah, learnt idolatry as a child. Children learn by osmosis. You don't have to tell them much. they absorbing your lifestyle, learning to live the way you live. They honor the things you honor. They laugh at the things you laugh at, and all without you saying a word. So if you're serving the great God of greed and all you're interested is in amassing your fortune... You may come to church, but the children are learning that outside of church from you because you spend maybe one hour in church and the rest of the week, they're living with you at home. If you are caught up in the sexualization of our society, your children are learning that from you. If you make sports figures your God and your idol, they are learning idolatry at your knee. And so they imbibe the culture. Abraham was a nobody, an idolater, who knew the ways of idolatry. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, God, who has called you nobodies into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, God is faithful. This friendship is going to depend not on Abraham, although he'll be involved in it in the long run, The Ancient of Days will see this through. It's going to take 1,500 years of people denying him, being unfaithful, but he's got his mind fixed on redeeming people in this room today. The entire process could only happen if God was faithful. Then later in the chapter, Paul confirms that God calls nobodies. Listen to these words. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose what the world thinks is unimportant. 
and what the world looks down on and thinks is nothing in order to destroy what the world thinks is important. God did this so that no one can brag in his presence. So there are the first two steps. God calls. Secondly, he calls nobodies to be his friend. And now here's the third step. Abraham responded. And so we read of him living a life of fellowship in worship of God. Listen to the words from Genesis 12. So Abraham left Haran as the Lord had told him. And Lot, his nephew, went with him. This time Abraham was 75 years old. Makes me look like a spring chicken. Thanks, Abraham. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and everything they owned, as well as all the servants they had gotten in Haran, and they set out from Haran, planning to go to the land of Canaan, and in time they arrived there. Abraham traveled through that land as far as the great tree of Moray at Shechem. The Canaanites were living at the land at the time. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your descendants. So Abraham built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he traveled from Shechem to the mountain east of Bethel and set up his tent there. Bethel was to the west and Ia was to the east. There Abraham built another altar to the Lord and worshipped him. And after this he traveled on toward Canaan. So you see Abraham doing something quite astonishing. He hears the voice of God and he responds. And it requires a big thing of him. In those days your security, your safety, your whole identity depended on your clan. And when you left that clan, it was a wild, wild world out there. No United Nations or no police force. You're on your own. You're facing other tribes and clans. You're going through their land. They can deny it to you. It was a huge step to respond to God in those days. And it's still a huge step to respond to God these days. He still calls you out of the culture of this world. He still calls you to be a different person. He calls you to walk with him and worship. And the place where you work, you should raise in your mind, in your spiritual imagination, an altar and claim it for God. In your neighborhood, you worship there and you claim that for God. Wherever you go, you are worshiping and building earth altars, imaginary spiritual altars, and saying, this is now God's territory. I'm his representative. I bring a different take on life to this place. I bring the spiritual world into the material world. And Abraham does this walking day by day further into the land into which God had called him. But those who walk with friendship in God, with God in this way are not spared of the evils of this world. If the Lord makes the sun and the, sh the rain to shine and fall on the just as well as the unjust, the evil of this world falls on the just and the unjust as well. And so there comes a day of famine. 
And on that day, the fourth step happens in Abraham's friendship with God. He considered himself to be somebody. So let's follow the story. At this time, there was not much food in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to live because there was so little food. Just before they arrived in Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this woman is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Tell them you're my sister, so that things will go well with me, and I may be allowed to live because of you. Now, we don't know whether this trip to Egypt was actually initiated by God. All the rest seems to be, so maybe it wasn't. Maybe he was just using his common sense. Famine in the land, there's food in Egypt. We have to go to Egypt. What we do notice is that he's not erecting altars there, and there seems to be a gap between him and his friendship with God now. In the event, in any event, the circumstances make him fear for his life. So he acts like a sensitive, caring jerk. Sarah, I could get killed because of you. Let's deceive Pharaoh. Now he's got not a thought for Sarah, does he? Because you see, now Abraham has become somebody. He's saying, well, you see, God blessed me and he's going to bless the world through me and all nations through me. And uh, this now is a problem and maybe God just can't take care of this problem. So I know what, I'll give God a bit of help. And so instead of trusting God, he trusts his wiliness. In other words, he thought he was somebody so we read on. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians indeed saw that Sarah was very beautiful. The Egyptian officers saw her, and they told the king of Egypt how beautiful she was. And they took her to the king's palace, and the king was kind to Abraham because he thought Abraham was her brother, and he had to butter Abraham up. He gave Abraham sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. And now Abraham is feeling so pleased with himself. Look, he says, my being somebody works. Look at this, I'm being favored. Man, there's this nice big bonus I'm getting. Look at all these things that I'm accumulating now. Wow, this is... This is making sense beyond my wildest fantasy. When I'm somebody, God goes on blessing me. In fact, my being somebody means God blesses me more than ever. Except for poor Sarah. Uh, poor Pharaoh, Sarah as well. But poor old Pharaoh, things start going horribly wrong for him. And so we read that the Lord sent terrible diseases on the king and, and all the people in his house, all because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So the king sent for Abraham. Now he knew, I'm not sure, maybe God revealed it to him, said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me Sarah was your wife? 
Why didn't you say? Why did you say she's my sister so that I made her my wife? Now, here, here is your wife. Take her and leave. Get out of here. And the king commanded his men to make Abraham leave Egypt. So Abraham and his wife left with everything they owned. Oh, my word, what trouble jerk Christians cause for non-Christians. I don't know what you being a Christian jerk has meant to your neighborhood, your office, your family. And here's the real problem. God fellowships with nobodies. So when Abraham says, I'm somebody, he slams the door in God's face. And God says, okay, I'll wait. I'm not in a hurry. I'm the ancient of days. My purpose is 2,000 years away, so I've got time, Abraham. You go and bump your head and take the skin off your shins. I'll still be here. So Paul, in Romans chapter 9, quotes Isaiah to drive this point home. Careful, he says, I've put a huge stone on the road to Mount Zion, a stone you can't get around, and the stone is me. (laughs) So God's not about to sort of let you off the hook or Abraham off the hook. This stone, he says, If you want to get to be a friend of mine, then you have to overcome the stone, and the stone is Jesus. And so you say, God, I'm somebody after all. And he says, oh, is that so? Let's check this out. (laughs) The, The somebody that I approve of is Jesus. So you want to be Jesus, do you? Okay, go ahead. This is going to be fun. Let's watch this. And so you said about striving and trying and being impressive and being somebody and scheming and getting your own way through subterfuge and maybe you even blessed materially in the process and you start puffing out your chest. You see, it works on somebody. But there comes the day when you discover, I'm actually a nobody. And somewhere along the line, Abraham must have confessed this. Let's hope he said to Sarah, please forgive me being such a big jerk. I'm just a nobody. And when we say that to God, he says, that's better. Now you're my boy. Come on. Now that you're a nobody, I'm going to call you my son. That's the blessing of Abraham. Those are the steps of friendship. And you'll notice that Abraham actually now behaves like a nobody. So in Genesis chapter 13, we read that he left Egypt. And during this time, Lot was traveling with him. And Lot also had flocks and herds and tents. And Abraham and Lot had so many animals, the land could not support both of them together. So the herdsmen begin to clash and fight. And argue, and Abraham said to Lot, There should be no arguing between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine. We brothers, I'm your uncle, we the same flesh and blood. Let's separate. The whole land is there before you. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. And Lot looked around. 
And there was the valley of Jordan, a fruitful, verdant land. And his heart leapt. He said, I'll take the Jordan Valley. And Abraham says, that's fine. You take that and I'll go and land in Canaan. So Lot chose to move east and live there. And in this way, Abraham and Lot separated. And here you have the evidence that Abraham is again saying, I'm a nobody. He's the older uncle. He's got all the prestige. God has called him. Lot is following in his shadow. And he lays aside all his rights like a nobody. And he says, Lot, you choose. And I'll be satisfied with the leftovers. So he gives up his rights and surrenders them. So there, in short, is the clear detail of the process of being God's friend. God calls. He calls nobodies. Nobodies respond. They follow him. The nobodies get inflated ideas and think they're somebody. God stands back and waits. And when they confess, I'm a nobody, God says, that's better. Let's move on together. Sound like your life? It's my life. So here are the conclusions this morning. Where are you in your quest for friendship with God? Abraham's life speaks to those with no spiritual understanding. And maybe you don't even know why you're actually here this morning. You sort of came and somebody invited you or you saw the sign and here you are and a bit perplexed actually, a little bit overwhelmed maybe by the music and feeling estranged and saying, I don't know what's going on actually. You're the very person God is looking for. You say, I'm far away without understanding and unwitting idolater and actually disinterested. And God cries out delight. That's it. That's it. That's who I want. You the man. You the woman. You the, the, the boy or the girl. You the one that I'm interested in. I call nobodies. So you can freely and with God's full encouragement move on to the next stage and category of friendship with God. Uh, and you may now, now say, uh, this is where I am in my friendship with God. I am awakening to spiritual reality. And like Abraham, we are to respond. We don't ignore. We don't leave the invitation unopened on the coffee table. We understand friendship is a two-way street, and so we accept the invitation. And if we don't, the friendship can't continue. We don't know where he will lead us. We don't know what new things he will open before us. We only know the day will come that we let him down and that will be the day we think we're somebody and he will wait. And when we come back and say, I'm such a jerk and a nobody, he will say, that's great. You're actually my son now, my daughter. And so I would long and yearn for us all to respond with a, a yes today. Yes, God. That's me. But I'm willing to go wherever it may take me.
And that leads us to the third conclusion. There are those here who are God's children, and maybe somebody in their heart has just said yes and has just become God's child. Isn't that fantastic how that happens? And those of us who are God's children, this story tells us he is a faithful friend. He never lets go. He holds us fast. He waits. He's got all of eternity, so he'll wait for you. And today is the day that you can say, God, I'm actually a nobody. And he says, great, let's walk together. Let's pray together. Our great and gracious God, why it should be that you in your majesty and your glory, the splendor and radiance of your being, uh, should choose such a path to call Abraham a nobody and make him a role model for our own friendship with you. And then trace his history for us so that we can see how he, he lets go of you, that you remain faithful, and then he picks up the friendship again and lives like a nobody. And all the while, he's demonstrating he's your, very own, he's your son, a brother of your very own son. So we bless you and thank you and look forward to worshiping you as our friend. In Jesus' name, amen.